Absolutely. So before we started recording, uh, Tori mentioned she loves how fast I type. And um, I have a keyboard that is like modded to be loud. And I'll never forget, I was on the phone with my aunt and I was typing. And she's like, I'm going to let you go. It sounds like you're really working over there. And it's like, <laughs> I promise you, like, I'm not. Like, I'm on Facebook. I'm literally doing nothing. But she's like, it just sounds like you're really working over there. I'm going to just let you go. It sounds like you're busy. It's like, it worked. <laughs> my scheme worked. Your practical planning has all fallen into place. It usually does. Uh, welcome to Unfortunately Required Reading, a show that's typically about literature, but today, unfortunately, it's just about real life. <laughs> I think one of my favorite things about reading about The Handmaid's Tale and Margaret Atwood was she said this wasn't sci-fi, this was speculative fiction because every single aspect of this book had happened in some form in some country in the world previously. And I there's a whole part where they're talking about credit cards and like women not being able to have access. Mm -hmm. I, I, younger me thought that that was fake. And then I talked to somebody who literally wrote a 10 page letter to her bank as a lawyer saying, listen, mm -hmm. the state of California trusts me to be a lawyer. You can trust me with a credit card, like in her own name. Cause they sent it back to her in her husband's name. And she's like, he's not the one using this for business. I'm the one using this for business. Yeah. Uh, so we would be remiss not to bring up everything that's going on in the world right now, uh, including the very, very tragic shooting that happened in Uvalde, which is not very far away from us. Um, we don't have answers or solutions outside of fuck you, Ted Cruz, and fuck you, Greg Abbott. I think those are the What's only really words we have. Yes. So we live close enough to Uvalde that, and keep in mind, Uvalde is a, a smaller town, okay? Mm -hmm. Like, it's mm -hmm. it's not massive. Like, San Antonio, massive. Austin, mm -hmm. eh, kind of massive. It, it's still, yeah. San Antonio and Austin were both small towns for a long time, and, well, smaller towns. Mm -hmm. And so there's still kind of that feel, except it's, with the expansions, it's been really different. Then you have mm -hmm. Houston, which is massive. Dallas, which is massive. Mm -hmm. And then you have smaller towns that are closer to farming communities and things like that. So Uvalde is about 90 minutes away from where we are driving. Mm -hmm. What's really, really fucked up is when you log into Facebook and you realize that your friends know these people personally. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I know I had that happen, so... So question, when I was in high school, we mm -hmm. actually had survivors from the Columbine shooting come to mm -hmm. talk to us at school. Mm -hmm. And this was before the uh, assault rifle ban ended in 20 or 2004 because it wasn't reinstated. Mm -hmm. um, that's when you see all the jumps for, for uh, assault rifle gun violence in the United States, friends. And mm -hmm. I just remember them being like, we never want this to happen again. You know, it was a whole conversation on how to not limit people and you know be really friendly and kind and always know mm -hmm. that something was going on with another person and it was like at that point in time i think this was like 2002 because it was before i graduated i remember them being very much like let's all embrace each other and make sure that this never happens again and you know if you know somebody's gonna do something make sure you say something like and this was like eight years no i don't i can't do math whatever it was like columbine 
happened, I would have gone to that high school because I lived in Colorado at the time in that area. Mm -hmm. Um, That would have been my high school. But my parents divorced two years before, which we've talked about on this show. Um, So it's, or they had divorced and then we moved is the whole thing. But here's like, it's, it's mind blowing to me that this is still an issue in the United States. We Mm -hmm. had assault rifle bans for a reason because we Mm -hmm. had seen this. And at one point in time, it was like, look, this is a logical conclusion. No one needs an AR-14 to go shoot 30 to 50 feral hogs, okay? Our ancestors were doing it with rifles, okay? Like, you don't need to have a semi-automatic weapon to go hunting. In fact, it makes it a little stupid and unfair if you're hunting. And I hear all these arguments about things, and I'm like, no, no. What you did was you removed a permit system that made sense and required people to train and do certain things. And then you made it so an 18 year old can walk up with no like history or waiting period and buy assault rifles. So yeah, this is on you. Yeah, uh, we we don't really have any words outside of don't boo vote. Um, I'm seeing a lot of people mostly on the right once more demand that uh, we return to civility and to not politicize the issue. Um, I just saw a tweet on my personal Twitter that said uh, one man heckled Ted Cruz at a restaurant. And the response to the tweet was, why wasn't everyone else joining him? This should not be one man. Um, Let these people know no peace. This is on them. This is on their hands. And it will continue to be on their hands until change happens. Uh, We say that mostly because... Unfortunately, the show must go on due to capitalism, and uh, we don't have answers or solutions outside of um, voting. We really don't. Like, I, I'm not going to sit here. I know a friend of mine, Amber, and I were talking about how disingenuous a lot of the white tears have been feeling because, mm-hmm. you know, brown people have... The theme of this book as well, brown people have been saying this for a while, uh, mm-hmm. how disingenuous a lot of the white tears have felt i'm kind of at that stage very much where it's like don't boo vote your white tears are lovely they have not saved one child so that's where i am that is the tone for this book uh we're reading a handmaid's tale which again feels a little close to home considering the likely overturning of roe v wade We'll also be talking a lot about uh, why you shouldn't be dressing up as a white woman in these uh, handmade outfits to protest. Because there's... We're also going to talk about... We're also going to talk about Margaret Atwood and personal responsibility when it comes to words and still being famous. Because she has said some things in recent history uh, that make people have the death of the author talk all over again. Uh... And then we have to talk about, you know, author being old and senile and shit. Like, I'm not saying she's senile, but she's up there. Uh, Tori, what are we drinking? I think you say you're drinking a vodka Red Bull? Vodka sugar for Red Bull because, yeah, it's been a week, y'all. Yeah, I have spiced rum and a coffee because I am am exhausted emotionally, physically, spiritually. Um, if I get one more well-intended white woman on TikTok who just wants to cry about missing children, y'all are the reason Greg Abbott is in office. I don't have time for your tears anymore. Y'all fucked this up. You make it right this time. Uh, 
So again, that this is not a book where we have nice things to say. There will be no good feelings. If you are one of the three people that thinks that this show is too political, I don't know what to tell you. It only gets worse from here. <laughs> if you're one I of the three, we, yeah, yes. We first started with a kids book. And we're like, well, kind of a kids book, and we're like, well, this is weird. This is like rabbit fascism. It's not going to get any better from there, folks. Yeah, like if you're one of the three people who I'm sure has thought, "Wow, this show gets really political," doesn't get better. I promise you, it only gets worse. Pride Month is next month. It only gets worse. Uh, so, uh, do you want a short story long? I do. Okay. So, again, no real good feel-good story here. Um, gather round as I tell you the story of Offred and the Republic of Gilead, which is a totalitarian and theocratic nation that's replaced the good old U.S. of A. It hurts because I can feel it. Anyway, Birth rates are dangerously low due to chemicals and all sorts of stuff and unregulated capitalism and, you know. So anyway, handmaids are women who are assigned to elite couples that cannot conceive so that they can have a baby. In short, they're assigned a woman who has ritualistic sex with an elite man once a month at a specific point in her menstrual cycle while his wife holds her hands. So Serena Joy is a former gospel singer who was very big on traditional values. So we have this uh, white woman who's doing very well under patriarchy. Mm -hmm. We know her husband is named Fred, as all handmaids are named of, with the man's name following. So of Fred, off Fred. Offred's freedom is completely restricted. She can leave the house mm -hmm. only on shopping trips for food for the household. Her door can never be completely shut to her bedroom. And a secret police force called the Eyes watches the every move of women in the Republic of Gilead. Mm -hmm. While Offred tells us about her daily life, she also goes into flashbacks pretty often. We find out she was married to a man named Luke. They had had an affair and his wife left, or he left his wife for her. This is important later on in the story. Um, they got married. They had a baby. Offred was parented by a single mother and a feminist activist. There's actually a part in the book that just hurts where her mom is talking to Luke and he's cooking dinner. And she says like, hey, um, looks at her daughter and goes, we fought for this. Because before he couldn't even have this as a hobby or he'd be labeled a queer. Mm hmm. And I had never really like had that hit me before, like this this fighting inequality kind of thing that's been going on for a long time. Anyway, um, so her her best friend was Moira, and she was extremely independent. Uh, the Gilead architects assassinated the president. This is how this all happened, um, and members of Congress and launched a coup, saying they were taking over power temporarily to bring order. We've actually seen people try to do this. Anyway, yeah. they crack down on women's rights, happening right now, remove their ability mm -hmm. to have credit cards, don't think that's far behind, or their own mm -hmm. money, or to properly or have property or jobs, right? So Offred and mm -hmm. Luke take their daughter and attempt to cross into Canada where they'd be safe, but are caught and separated. She hasn't seen her daughter or Luke, but since she rightly looks for their bodies at the public execution site, she passes on the way to go shopping. So something to keep in mind, Offred's marriage to Luke isn't considered legitimate because he had been married previously. So as a divorced woman with a stepdaughter or not a divorced woman, a woman who married a divorced man who has a stepdaughter, mm -hmm. my marriage wouldn't be considered legal under their, their laws. And that's, that's kind of fucked up, especially as I'm like friends with his wife or his ex-wife. 
So anyway, I'm going to go ahead and say this, not to belittle your uh, station in life. There are a lot of things that aren't allowed under this system that are fucked up. Not just that. Oh, yeah. No, I'm just saying like that's that was something that was interesting. So Alfred is sent to the Rachel and Leah Reeducation Center, which is a complete disgusting read of the Rachel and Leah story in the Bible. Um, also known as the Red Center. They're indoctrinated into false biblical teaching to become handmaids since they are able to have children because they've proven before that they can get pregnant. They're watched by Aunt Lydia, who gives them speeches about women being subservient to men and the need to breed children. She tells them that they have more freedoms under this new regime than the old regime. Moira is also brought to the Red Center but disappears and Offred doesn't know what happens to her. Offred is sent to the commander's house. She often goes food shopping with another handmaid named Off Glen, so of Glen. Uh, mm -hmm. They see a wall outside what used to be Harvard University, but now it's where the hanged bodies of supposed traitors hang. So we had talked about that. Offred mm -hmm. heads to or has to regularly be checked for diseases and other complications before she has sex with the commander. So basically, like she goes to a doctor's appointment and they have to like make sure that she doesn't have any diseases or anything. Keep in mind, she's supposed to be sleeping with the same person every month. Yes, just throwing that out there. Uh, so. Before the commander has this weird sex witch ritual with her, he has to read the Bible in front of the house, hold servants, his wife, and Offred, and then they go and have ritual sex. So everybody knows, right, that this is what's happening. Um, as we're reading, we kind of see her build a routine, you know, when she's doing certain things. And then one day when she's at the doctor's office, he says, listen, we're pretty sure that the commander is probably infertile, which, first of all, him saying things like that could get him killed. Um, mm -hmm. I will totally drop my pants. We can have sex. I will get you pregnant and then you won't have to worry about it anymore. But Alfred is like, that's way too risky because she could be sent to the wastelands of Cot, which is basically where they send people that they consider to be non-women. Mm -hmm. um, the commander has his driver and gardener, Nick, go to Alfred one night and say, hey, come speak to him in his library alone. They play Scrabble. And he lets her look at old magazines because reading is forbidden for women in Gilead. He yes. asks her to kiss them at the end of these secret meetings. So he's not asking for sex. He's already getting that. He just wants some sort of affection, which is interesting. Yeah. During mm. the shopping trip, Offlin tells Offred she's a member of a group called Mayday, which is a secret group dedicated to overthrowing Gilead. Offred finds herself finding the, the ceremony less impersonal now that she actually knows the commander. During their secret conversations, Offred tells the commander how unhappy she is. And he says, you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. <sighs> Motherfucker. Anyway, since Offred has not gotten pregnant, Serena Joy suggests that Offred have sex with Nick, who's their like household guy who does all the driving, and pass mm -hmm. the child off as the commanders. Serena says she will bring Offred a current picture of her daughter if she sleeps with Nick. So she knows where her daughter is. She's mm -hmm. always known where Offred's daughter was taken. The commander secretly tells, takes Offred to a club called Jezebel's where commanders mingle with sex workers. She finds out Moira is working there. Moira tells her that she was captured and chose to come to Jezebel's versus going to the colonies where political prisoners seen as a threat to Gilead are sent to die. Um, the commander takes Offred upstairs to have sex in what used to be a hotel room and she pretends to be enthused. Mm -hmm. uh, when she gets back, Serena Joy tells Offred to go have sex with Nick. They begin to sleep together frequently with no one's knowledge. Offred ends up getting caught up in the affair and ignoring Offred's request to gather information for the commander to help Project Mayday. 
One day, The Handmaid takes part in a public execution of an accused rapist. If you watch the TV show, that's they put this at the very beginning. Anyway, yes. Offlin strikes the first blow, and we're told later that the guy wasn't a rapist, but he was rather a member of Mayday, and Offlin hit him to put him out of his misery. So pretty soon, Offred is out shipping again, or shipping again, shopping again, and she meets a new Offlin. And she's like, wait a minute, who the fuck are you? And we find out this woman is definitely not a part of May Day, and that the previous Offlin hung herself when she saw the secret police coming. Serena Joy finds out about Offred's trip to Jezebel and sends her to a room, promising to punish her. Offred waits there and sees a black van from the eyes pulling up. Nick tells her that the eyes people in the van are really members of May Day coming to rescue her. She leaves with them despite the commander's objections. She doesn't know if she's going to find freedom or if she's going to be killed or put in prison, and she no longer cares. We get an epilogue from a long time later after Gilead has fallen, written by a professor, I believe in Canada, and he is into this whole discussion of Gilead's strange customs and the significance of Alfred's story, and we find out that she ended up getting to Maine, being able to record a cassette, and that it was found. Um, the professor suggests that Nick arranged Alfred's fate, but that or escape, but that her fate is still unknown. So if you are like most Americans, you probably saw this on Hulu because of a bunch of your friends bullied you into watching it. And in what, like 2016-ish? Or was it 2018? Um, I think I actually have a note. Give me one second. I think it was like 28. Uh, yeah, 2017. Yeah, so she ended up winning a, a Booker Prize for the Testament, which is the sequel, which makes a lot of sense to write after you've been super successful with a TV show. So sorry, that's not where I was going. <laughs> so if you I'm were, sick. so if you were, you know, like most people, and you were bullied into watching this in 2017, uh, this probably felt too close to home then. If you're reading it now in 2022. It probably feels way too close to home, especially for, honestly, white women. Because I want to talk about this first, and this has been something that has been particularly stuck in my craw for the last, I don't know, ever many years of my life, is that this has been a reality for women of color for hundreds of years. Uh, mm -hmm. Forced sterilization has been a thing for women of color for decades. No, And we've talked about like Alabama appendectomies and stuff like that. Like We've talked about all these things. We've talked about how reproduction and sex have all been used as tools against women of color, be it indigenous, be it black, be it Hispanic. This is not new information and it's frustrating that we have to make it cosplay a bunch of frail white women for anyone to pay attention, but still not enough to fucking do anything. I don't think this book would be as popular if it was black women, because I know it isn't. It's called Parable of the Sower. I know What's, that this, yes. I was going to say, no, go ahead, please. You're on a it's like, I know that this book isn't wouldn't be as popular if it was Black women. Because, yeah, we have that. It's literally every Toni Morrison and <laughs> Octavia Butler. Like, it's literally, we have, we know. So, 
it's frustrating. Like I mentioned at the top of the show that it's like, I get it. This is a scary time, but it's been a scary time for people of color for a lot longer. And that doesn't invalidate the struggle of white women. It's just in this desire for allyship to another point that we'll elaborate on later, white women still heavily thrive under patriarchal societies in places that POC don't, but please. Mm -hmm. I was gonna say that a lot of the descriptions where we actually get descriptions of skin color in this book mm -hmm. are women who are working in the kitchen as Martha's um, mm -hmm. or have been put in positions of subservience. Um, the handmaids are actually, they're treated terribly, let's be real, but they're still treated with a kind of reverence and respect that I see a lot of women who thrive under patriarchy treated as. Mm -hmm. um, we see this pretty heavily in evangelical movements, especially around things like Mother's Day, where it's like, oh, this is my wife and she's the mother of my children. And, you know, she's she's done what God wants her to do. Mm -hmm. What? Um, yeah, I, and, and we've seen that fail women so many times. But yeah. I left a church because there was a woman who was an incredible preacher. She was really, really good. She filled in when, you know, like she was married to one of the associate pastors and she mm -hmm. was great. Anytime they had like an Easter service or anything and she came to like fill in, she was incredible. You know, you couldn't take her eye, your eyes off her, not because she was pretty. She was pretty, but she was smart and funny mm -hmm. and had these really, really great interpretations of the Bible. And the head pastor would not allow her to be on staff because she was a woman. And when I found that out, I was like, nah, peace out, fam. I'm done. Like, I can't do this anymore. Um She's now since gone on to to do preaching in a different state at a different church, which is great. Um, mm -hmm. But that belief still resonates. I know people at that church who worked in like childcare, and in their childcare department, there were no adult, there were no adult men, none. They were all women, um, and you know, women weren't even allowed to be youth pastors. Mm -hmm. It was very much like you take care of the children. And once they've reached a certain age, we're going to let the men handle things from here. And that it's so unhealthy and so scary for me. I, I mean, a lot of it is because I've seen so many churches where the youth pastor turns out to be a pedophile or turns out to be, you know, stalking his own, his own, you know, commissioners or not commissioners, you know what I mean? Parishioners. Um, same thing. Recently, we just had this whole scandal with the Baptist church where, or Southern Baptist, where it was released that there was a whole list of records of inappropriate things that men in, in power had done to women and how it was covered up, including sex with a 16-year-old girl. And it's still, you know, like, oh, well, you know, we, we, we really believe in the message of Jesus. Well, clearly not. Clearly not. Okay, back to the book. Yeah, um, I think it's, I think, honestly, that's the big thing is that it's important to hallmark on the fact that, you know, women of color have been sounding this alarm for hundreds of years. And it's gone pretty much unheard until it affects white women. And now you're starting to see that panic again, with the possible overturning of Roe v. Wade, which we have to keep saying is possible. It hasn't technically been overturned. There is a lot of talk about it being a coup d'etat 
And I don't know what V for Vendetta LARP everyone on the Supreme Court thinks that they're doing, but coup d'etat or not, it's terrifying. Um, I also really want to key in on this point of that there are some women that really thrive under, I don't think it's just patriarchal standards. It's also very heavily conservative and evangelical. So obviously the patriarchy, but I feel like that almost scapegoats the other two more insidious factors a lot more, which is evangelical Christianity, which realistically is the root of all evil in America. I'm sorry, it is. Don't shoot the messenger. It's literally the root of all evil in America. Um, I was a member of it for a long time. It's a cult. My dad was, and I literally don't get, it sort of feels like, uh, when you talk to like people of color that are like Trump supporters and stuff like that, it's like you know they don't like you, right? Like that you know that, the yeah. So like same with my dad and like his weird cult church, where it's like you know he's not talking to us, right? Anyways, uh, one being evangelical Christianity, and two being the rise of conservatism, and not just in the sense of political. But in this like very like 1950s, again, patriarchal idea of what a woman should be. A woman should be modest. She should be childbearing. She should be, you know, relatively pure. She should be quiet. She doesn't need to do too much of the book learning. If she does the book learning, you know, she gets saucy and starts to have free thoughts. We can't have that. Um, it feels very vintage in a way. But... And as we've talked about ad nauseum on this show, especially coming from me being Southern, it doesn't feel that vintage to me. I know people that still talk like this. I, I still, when I went to college, I heard lots of jokes about, are you getting your BA or your MRS degree? Mm -hmm. That's like, still a very common joke in the South. Which is oh, hilarious. Yeah, which is very funny considering that my alma mater at the time I was there was like 70% female to 30% male. And an overwhelming like 40 to 50% of those women were lesbians or bisexual. We ain't getting no degree in marriage there. We're getting lots of degrees in kissing behind the forbidden greenhouse. <laughs> I'm laughing because it's true. There is a, um, forbidden, there is a forbidden greenhouse at St. Mary's University that... You're just like, what the fuck is that greenhouse doing here? Some it belongs to some program, yes. Something I find really interesting is, you know, we we kind of get being a white woman and having talked to white women, you occasionally get these conversations where you know you're like, you do realize that you are thriving under this system because of these standards. You know, do you realize mm -hmm. that this is holding you in a particular way? This is holding you back. I have literally had family members say, bring on the patriarchy. I love the life I have. There, so, there are some folks who are so convinced that this is healthy and normal and that, you know, it's okay to be subservient. And you know what? There are some women that, you know, if, if you all you want to do is get married and have kids, more power to you. More yeah. power to you. Great. That's fine. That is as long as that is your decision. Okay, as long as that is your decision, that is not somebody else's decision for you. There are so many things that when I grew up in the evangelical church that I thought were completely normal, that then I grew up and started exploring different religions and doing different things and realizing, 
holy shit, this is a cult mentality. And it has been a cult mentality for a very, very long time. Um, we see a lot of evangelicalism start to rise in about the 70s and 80s. So you'll see a definite kick of it up with the Reaganism era. And a lot of that is because they realized that these evangelical groups were so good at speaking to their parishioners that they could get them to vote in a certain way. They could get them to move in a certain way. And that's one of the reasons that the conservative party is so focused on the evangelical vote, because they know that if they drop it just a little bit, their rhetoric or anything like that, they'll go to a different candidate. That is one of the reasons why the Republican Party courts evangelicalism so hard. It's not that they necessarily believe in it, because how many times have we caught them in a sex scandal? How many times have we caught, you know, people who are super anti-gay having sex in a bathroom, you know, with another man? Like, it's not necessarily that they believe it. It's that they can convince you that they believe it. Well, and I don't think it's just that they don't believe it. Because I think that that sounds really disingenuous to a lot of the feelings. A lot of it is, is that in religion, when, when Nietzsche was wrong and said things about religion, and Karl Marx also said things about religion, when all these philosophers talked about how shitty religion was, they weren't saying it because they think that it's some kind of grand balm that lets powerful people ignore those things. I think the disingenuous part is, is that it is loose enough that they can rationalize their way around it. So it's not okay for someone else's sex scandal, but their sex scandal is, oh, well, that person was just so powerful. I had a moment of weakness. You hear that all the time. It was a moment of weakness, which is a term that if I hear one more time, throwing oh, shoes. human beings are so incredibly capable of cognitive dissonance. It's, it's yeah. incredible. So it just, it's incredible. It sounds really... It, it sounds... So, so I was watching a video by Caitlin Doherty, Ask a Mortician, talking about Linda Hazard and Starvation Heights, uh, which is a great video, non-spots, not sponsored, um, and talking about you know Linda Hazard who starved all these people, who likely killed at least thirty to forty people, probably more, that eventually she died by her own treatment, and there's discussion whether she was just like a sadist who was just out starving folks. Or she was the worst kind of grifter, which is one that believed in their own grift. And I think that's what a lot of evangelical conservative people are dealing with. It's the worst kind of grift. It's a grift that is killing others, but also that they believe. Like, they have also drank that same Kool-Aid. They believe it. The problem is, is that it's so loose that yeah, like it's easy to wash it away when it's internal, that it's, oh, it's a moment of weakness for me, or oh, you know, it's a temporary thing that I can go pray away later, but it's a damnation to someone else. Um, David Koresh had that with oh, the Branch yeah. Davidians, where he oh, always yeah. labeled himself as the sinful messiah. He was the bad guy messiah. Like he's, you know, oh, I'm aware that I like sex and drugs and guns. And that makes me more human and thus more approachable because that's what the Branch Davidians needed. Um, 
so I don't want to, I don't want to scapegoat the power that religion can hold on people and that it's entirely this disingenuous grift, even though for a lot of people it is. I will also say that for a lot of people it truly is. Um, but there seems to be, especially in times of unsurety, this desire to go back to a simpler time. Um, there is another great video that I know. There's no such thing as a simpler we, time. We know that. Um, there's a great video that was done by uh, Carlos Maza, who was almost bullied off of YouTube, but then made it better, where he talks about head empty fascism, where right now there's this really, really big rise in fascism because the world is scary and unsure, and it's much easier to turn to fascism when you don't have it. And there's a quote in there that I'm probably butchering that says, the reason why young people don't turn to Marxism versus capitalism is because Marxism presents them while fascism represents them. Marxism gives them something to work on and to be better, while fascism gives them something to be angry at to avoid the reality of their own dying caste. That's The Handmaid's Tale. That's what it is. It's sinking and seeing that things are not working so you scapegoat someone else and i think yep. it's very powerful that margaret atwood a white woman decided that that was still a mostly white woman problem what's interesting too is at least from the united states i can't speak for canada because obviously i don't live in canada our scapegoats tend to not be white people not at all we scapegoat people coming across the border to escape extreme violence that we caused. Um, we go after, you know, people of Oriental descent who have done incredible. Well, that sounds often Asian descent, not Oriental. I apologize. That was. This is what happens when you have family members who used to work in Asia. So. We have Asian people who have come over here and built these incredible lives and built these wonderful neighborhoods. I'm thinking of certain areas in Garden Grove and Fountain Valley and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. They've built businesses. They've worked their asses off and they're treated as interlopers, which kills me because I'm like, no, they came over here and they worked their asses off and they lived what you guys believe is the American dream. Okay. They came over here and they had very little and they found a way to do something. Okay. Well, and it's interesting like, that you first mentioned Asian because something that is always interesting to a lot of minorities is the model minority myth that comes specifically with a spe with a type of Asian. It usually excludes people from like India, Pakistan, and stuff like that. It usually only involves Japanese, Korean, Vietnamese, and Chinese. But there is this like model minority myth that comes with being Asian American and doing all those things that you just described when. Hispanic people do it, Black people do it, other Asians do it, but for some reason there's this willingness to first quickly ascribe that to a very certain kind of person. And I'm not saying that you intended to do that, but it kind of clicks oh, something yeah, in my head. Right. Yeah, I, and I know that, but like it clicks something in my head that like a lot of white people do, especially when it comes to like disrest, especially right now politically, where it's like, oh, you know, you black people are so disruptive. You don't know how to be good citizens. And they'll point at like, you know, a Chinese community. It's like, which is insane because you know what? We have this incredible group of freaking black businesses now you know we have we ha because finally they were allowed to this is what pisses me off is how hard 
people of color have had to fight to have basics, you know, to be able to do things like have a business and not, and, and still, you know, when we have things like in, in Ferguson where, you know, there were a lot of businesses that were destroyed, people were more worried about, oh, you know, this white person's business, it got destroyed in this whole thing. And I'm like, a cop freaking killed somebody. Conservative white people were upset about it. There's actually, um, so I love this trend that journalists are doing now where they're not doing the, oh, both sides have heroes bullshit. There was a New York Times investigation on what happened in Kenosha with Kyle Rittenhouse, who, by the way, went to America Fest and got a standing ovation. That is something that I'm still not quite over. He went to America Fest and got a standing ovation. He murdered people. Standing he ovation. murdered people. I, mm, I'm going to get angry. But like, there was a question because, you know, it was the armed militiamen who were protecting businesses. And one of the interviewers asked, did anyone ask you to be here? And it's just all these white men like, well, no, but we want to protect businesses. And they're like, no, no, no. Did anyone specifically say we would like you to protect our business. And they just had to be like really, really quiet because no one fucking asked them. Um, it feels like it's such a diversion because it's it's a scapegoat. Again, it's they're not concerned about protecting businesses. No one's worried about that. No one is protecting the Indian-owned gas station. No one's protecting, <laughs> you know... Yeah. So in India, having your own business is a huge thing. It's it a is. huge thing. And that's why a lot of folks who uh, like immigrate from India open a business when they get here. Mm -hmm. Because then they've made it. You know, even if that is a 7-Eleven franchise, even if that is running your own gas station, if it's running a hotel, you've made it. Absolutely. And I think there's so much that's frustrating about this book because one, it feels too, too real, too real. It's like the definition of too real. Two, it also, at least like from a black queer perspective, just feels like everything that is wrong with like modern woke feminism that you have to make it a white woman problem for anyone to pay attention, that you have to make this you have to still do like that moral gray area thing where like oh well some of the women had good ideas which no you can be a bad person and be a woman there are lots of bad women out there uh you know it tries to scapegoat men still which gotta love any narrative that tries to scapegoat terrible men maybe he wasn't so bad after all look they played scrabble it's fine I think the line that strikes me and just reminds me over and over again is when he's like, well, you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. And I'm like, that is, it, and it seems innocuous, right? But this is the generation that watched Brock Turner fucking walk away, you know, from raping a woman that everyone was like, oh, well, she was intoxicated. So fucking what? Keep your dick in your pants, asshole. And you know well, what? The whole thing was, oh, well, you know, you know, this will ruin his his life. Right. What do you think happened to hers? Right. Like, there's definitely been a come to Jesus about the people that have survived or were victims of that kind of stuff. Like, we're just now giving Monica Lewinsky any credit. 
yep. just now in the past maybe like three to four years are just now listening to her because no one ever saw her as a victim she is no, she was not. uh no one ever saw her that way um there was i watch a lot of videos from mr sunday movies and he's australian so like sometimes his views on american politics are a little bit extreme and he made a joke uh about some of the star wars movies because star wars has always been political don't come at me with this shit if you're going to be like, I don't like new trilogy because it's political. Literally, the prequel trilogy is all political. It's all political. There are interviews with George Lucas where he's saying, oh, this character based off of Newt Gingrich. This character based off Bill Clinton. We have that footage. You just don't like women talking. I digress. Um, where, you know, he makes a joke about Bill Clinton and it's like, he should be in jail. He's a sex criminal. And I don't know why, like, at first I bristled. I was like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, wait a minute. Why am I defending Bill Clinton? He is a sex criminal. He should be in jail. Like, he's awful. <laughs> They're all awful. <laughs> um, but to me, like, that line was just so... All I heard was, it must be nice to be a white person. Because, again, when Black people do riot... When we do act up, when we do any of those things, we get Kyle Rittenhouse and we get all these other shootings because we're just as tired and just as, if not more so, affected, but we may not get allowed. Uh, due to personal reasons, I have been examining the optics of being a loud Black woman more than ever. And it is fascinating and horrible the minute differences that come between someone being defensive and someone being aggressive. And how fragile that white feminist nature is. It's, 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 way, it's way fail thin. So soft and delicate. And it does not stand to scrutiny at all. And the problem is, is that we need white feminists. Unfortunately, we need white feminists. We need them. They have all the power because people will listen to them. But white feminists don't have usually enough in them to be able to talk about problems with POC people without either making it about them, scapegoating the bad guy, or severely diminishing what's going on. And it's reading books like this are just frustrating to me because, and again, like it's, I can see all these women who think that this is, this, this is saying something. And it's like, yeah, it's saying something that black people have been saying for so many years. And that doesn't make it a bad book. That doesn't make Margaret Atwood bad. It makes her what she is, a white woman. It, ma it makes her what she is. And we can't just look to revolutionary white women to change the world. We can't. We can't. I mean, we shouldn't be looking to any one revolutionary anything to change the world. But, yeah, it's weird and dissonant now to think about it, especially since we've taken so many steps backwards. But I think it's also important to talk about how we get here, which is, for some people, there is a remarkable amount of comfort uh, cosplaying this less than complicated world where you don't have to worry about pronouns or political correctness, where you can, you know, pat your lady on the butt and she doesn't have to think too much, where you can continue to subjugate people of color and you don't have to worry about being wrong. 
there is definitely, I'm sure, a comfort to that. And I can only imagine how difficult it must be for the white majority to be staring down what has to be a very terrifying barrel. Um, one thing that came back into play recently was uh, replacement theory. Because that is the theory that came up during the Buffalo shooting. That there is a very large concern that white people, especially white Americans, have that they're going to be replaced by minorities, which is true. Y'all stopped having babies. That's not our fault. <laughs> Y'all stopped having babies. These Roe v. Wade conversations. Right. It's because like, it's, having it's not that people stopped having babies, y'all. Mm -hmm. It's that white families stopped having babies. Right. Rich conservative exactly. white families stopped having babies. Yes. And what's what's hard about it too is we in the United States do not make it easy to have children. We don't. No. It's very it's expensive. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's very expensive. Medically. Then you have childcare. Yeah. I remember how expensive childcare was for my stepdaughter. Like we were figuring it out day to day. And people mm -hmm. kept asking us, when are you two gonna have your baby? We're not having a baby. We're trying to like put the current child that we have in a safe environment so we can go to work every day so we right. can have a roof over our heads we see things in like you've seen this too in, in other countries where you know there is a support network that's set up for for child care and people are paid a living wage and you have mm -hmm. maternity leave and paternity leave and you have these options they're more than happy to extend their family. They want to extend their family. Mm -hmm. You know, we want to extend our families a lot of the times, but we can't. And mm -hmm. if you don't want to, that's fine too. Like, yeah, it shouldn't be a forced choice. It's a choice. Yeah, I do want to, I want to put a pin in that very briefly to bring up the conversation, like what is a non-woman and stuff like that, where again, it's subjecting women to their use and value being that of childbearing, which as someone with reproductive issues, uh, fuck you ain't happening. It isn't just because black women, yeah, just, you know, <laughs> not concerned that black women die in childbirth and as mothers way more frequently than white women than white women it has nothing to do with how astronomically expensive it is to have a child it has nothing to do with just the emotional trauma that comes with being a parent sometimes and everything to do with i don't wanna and that that is something that you still hear today that a woman's worth and or desirability or anything is still very much tied to whether she wants to reproduce or not and um, I don't think that's acceptable for cattle, let alone for, for, for people. Like, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, literally, dogs have more reproductive rights than we do. Elaborate. So right now, for a woman to be able to have any of her reproductive organs removed... If you're under the age of 25, usually they won't do it unless it's cancerous or there's something very. very oh, okay. Scary. I had a feeling um, that that's where you were yeah. going. But I was like, <laughs> oh, trust like, me. The dog, the dog doesn't consent to getting spayed. No. <laughs> oh, no. I'm just saying. But in the United States, if you're a woman and you are married, you have to get permission from your husband. You have to have acknowledgement that they are aware that you're going to have your reproductive organs removed. 
sometimes even when they're cancerous, you have to have this. Um, I had a friend who had severe, severe problems with her uterus. And it wasn't until she had had three kids and was over the age of 25 that they allowed her to have her tubes tied. She almost died every time she had a child. She's type yeah. one diabetic. And they're like, no, 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 no. You know, it's, it's, you know, we don't want to hire your tubes. Da, da, da. She kind of got bullied into having her third kid. That's a whole other story that I won't go into now. But it's still very much a thing in the United States that you have to get permission from your male partner if you are having anything like that done. And if you're under 25, they try to convince you, oh, well, you know, what about your, your future partner? You may want to have children. It's a big yeah. thing. I remember hearing that a lot when I was trying to go through my stuff. Where the guys can walk like, in and have a vasectomy, by the way. Like they don't have to get permission okay. from their wives. There's no phone calls. Okay. So, so, soft scapegoat. It is a less invasive procedure. <laughs> they can walk out of that. In theory, I can air, I, I'm very soft ear quoting. There is a difference between a hysterectomy, which is still an invasive bodily procedure, and you go in through the gooch and snip snip. Um, it's a very soft scapegoat. It's it's the softest, it's the softest of well actuallys, but I can understand that being cut like a salmon is a little bit more different. But like if I need to go in and get a tonsillectomy or if I need to go in and have even like the basis procedure done, if I am bleeding out on an emergency room table, they will still do a pregnancy test. Yeah. Even if you tell them I am a lesbian or I am bisexual or I have never had sex with a man, they will still do a pregnancy test on you. I ha came in for leg pain once to a doctor and said, I'm having issues with my shins. I think I just have shin splints. Can you like give me any suggestions? He asked if I was pregnant. And I go, well, I have PCOS and I just had a pregnancy test at my uh, gynecologist's office. And no, it's not really possible for me to have a baby. And he went, oh, well, I didn't know that. And then proceeded to speak only to Mark for the rest of the appointment. I'm not laughing at you, but like that has been such a scenario for so many people that it's like I'm, oh, no yeah. going, I'm no longer going to speak to you about this matter directly it's just oh my god no like I I absolutely I've had that with my mom sometimes where I know I'm not a male or male presenting but like they would always try to like seek out like oh well you know where's your husband it's like it's like that means like I'm the captain now it's like you know no if yeah. you're gonna talk to her <laughs> you're talking to me she clearly doesn't know what the fuck she's talking about she's crazy Dad's dead. No, I'm the captain now. If you have questions, I know more than she does. You're not. There is no husband that you can talk to. There is no man that you can talk to. I am the one who decides. And that pissed off a lot of doctors. What's super fun is when you have an appointment like that, especially if you have somebody who's with you who is male presenting and you do have to explain, you do realize what just happened in there, right? And they have no idea. None, not, not, not the slightest. Um, yeah, actually, it's really, really funny because, like, my aunts are like that too. Like, with my grandmother who was chronically ill, you know, where they'd be like, Oh, well, you know, where's your husband? Is there someone? Is can we talk to your son? And you have, if you can imagine how intense I am, imagine the women that raised me. Oh, I've seen them in interviews and I love them. <laughs> yeah, so those are my great aunts, but like, again, 
So the women who are directly responsible for raising me, if y'all think I'm intense, you are not ready. Them same, I'm the captain now. You have questions about her health. It's us. There is no man. There is no man you can speak to. We are the man. You will address us. And it's amazing how tense these scenarios get when it comes to bodily autonomy in women. And that's what this comes down to is bodily autonomy. And the frustrating thing is, again, is that this has been something that people of color have been fighting for many, many years. We don't have time to talk about forced sterilization because I will get tired and my blood pressure will get high and no one has time for that. Um, but it also just has to do with the fact that there is a deep rooted concern about what the future is going to look like for white people, especially in the U.S. There is a concern for that for a lot of places. Actually, replacement theory started in France. <laughs> well, it became popular in France. Arguably has been started with every fascist movement. Uh, Hitler did a lot of it because, of course, you know, it's the scapegoat that's the problem. There have been some lovely discussions about fascism recently because that's another word that has been uh, memed to death because no one really knows what fascism means. <sighs> this book felt right to read right now, but it also, I think, frustrated me in a way that I wasn't expecting because I haven't read the book. I had seen most of the Hulu show and you know like most things that w that white women hype up it was sort of flat to me <laughs> like most things that white women think are really revolutionary it's like this is parable of the sower but boring what I thought was interesting is that the show made boring black woman but then yeah. like that was like the worst character that you could make a black woman it was like Okay, so she does this whole thing to escape. She's very, very smart. And she ends up in Jezebel's. Mm -hmm. Or she would end up basically cleaning up toxic waste and dying of massive sores on her bodies. Because that's where the unwomen went. Yeah. Um, oh, there is one uh, symbol that we should probably bring up, which is all the Bible stuff. We literally don't have time to discuss all of the Bible things. It is about as subtle as getting hit in the head with a pan of grits. It is not subtle at all. It's very it's a, scarlet lettery. It's I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna say it's scarlet lettery. It just feels like every person who tried to write like a new fantasy, like a young adult fantasy book, and they think they're being clever. Like it just felt like that. Like everyone who became like a like a young adult fantasy author after like one book got popular, and they just think they think that they're being so clever. It's like almost like J.K. Rowling level, where it's like, ah, oh, yes, we're going to name the werewolf Lupin. Clever. <laughs> He's literally Moon Moon. <laughs> we're going to name him Moon Moon. <laughs> like it's, I hate when any creator does that. I hate. When you can feel a creator being like, ah, yes, we shall make it to this choice. And it just being like, you really thought you did something, don't you? Uh, Darth Vader. Vader just means father in German. Honestly, every Star Wars is is that to me where it's like, oh, George, you really, you really thought you did something, didn't you? Uh, I've been on a Star Wars tear recently, as Tori can see from our shared Disney Plus account. 
uh, don't let me watch Star Wars anymore because I get angry. <laughs> I'm also a very, very soft prequel apologist. See, my concern is that if I block your account for the Star Wars movies, you're just going to watch them on mine. <laughs> yeah, I'll just steal yours. Yeah, I know. Yeah, no. <laughs> there's, there's not a win-win for anyone. I'm just going to keep watching Star Wars. Though I would like to be a part of whatever religion the fish nuns are. Like, whatever they're right? doing. Yeah, they look like they're doing great. They don't have to... They don't have to worry about the cosplay fascists. They're doing fine. They're safe of the cosplay fascists. Can I also just say, uh, Lindsay Ellis did a video about this, and I'm now very saliently aware of it. So, like, we always knew that, like, the Sith and everything like that were fascists. We always knew that. But, like, there's something so aggressively fascist about, like, the First Order. that like, I'm really uncomfortable now with people, like, Oh, I want to fuck Kylo Ren. It's like, you want to fuck E-boy Mussolini? What does make me happy, though, is I have a friend who very much wants to have sex with Adam Driver, but she's very specific about, yes, I do find him attractive. Yes, I know that that is problematic with this movie. <laughs> I, I don't. I'm not here to judge. I'm going to put him in, like, the Tom Hiddleston box. We're like, I'm not here to harsh anyone's yums. Can but you put me in the Tom Hiddleston box? Please be free. There's, It's like the Benedict <laughs> Cumberbatch, Tom Hiddleston, Adam Driver box. And I'm just like, someone sees something. I am not that someone. And it's not my place to say anything. I'm just going to be honest. My thing with Hiddleston is I just want to sit there and debate Loki mythology with him. That's all. That's cares. all. I don't think he knows or cares, and I appreciate. Oh, he does actually. He okay, uh, well, does entire lectures on it. Well, I like appreciate that he does. Um, okay, listen, we I'm have warning for brains. Okay, that's fine. Do you want to talk a little bit about Margaret Atwood and uh, the delightful photo of her recently using a yes. flamethrower to burn a book? Yes. So, which sounds bad, but the book was not burnable. Anyway, oh. so Margaret Atwood was born in 1939 in Ottawa, Canada. Um, her dad was an entomologist, so basically a bug doctor. And her mom was a former dietitian. And by do bug doctor, I mean, you know, you go out in the woods and you study bugs and you learn all sorts of stuff. So she spent a lot of times in the woods in northern Quebec. Okay, so. that's where we were going with that. Because it's like, I don't know where that's going. <laughs> Um, she didn't start school full time until she was 12, but she was a really big reader. And then she ended up being in the brownies for Girl Scouts, which she writes about pretty heavily into a lot of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. When she was 16, she decided she wanted to write professionally and she started studying at Victoria College in the University of Toronto in 1957. She was publishing poems in their college literary journal and she ended up getting her master's from Radcliffe. Um, Margaret Atwood has claimed that Mary Webster, an accused witch who was hanged in the 17th century, or hung in the 17th century, um, was her relative, and she actually dedicated The Handmaid's Tale to her and wrote a poem about her called Half-Hanged Mary. Um, in the 60s, she published her first book called Double Persephone. She calls The Handmaid's Tale speculative fiction, as we were talking about, not science fiction, because every horrible thing in this book has actually occurred in another country at some point in time. Mm -hmm. Um, the book was published in 1985 and won the Arthur C. Clarke Award, um, the 1985 Governor's Something Award, because I 
mistyped that and was a finalist for the Booker Prize in 1986. Mm -hmm. um, she did get married in 1968 to Jim Polk. They divorced in 1973. She ended up getting into a long-term relationship with a man named Graham Gibson. They never got married, which I think is kind of awesome. <laughs> um, and he ended up dying from complications from dementia in 2019, but they were inseparable from when they got together. Mm -hmm. um, she had published more than 50 books of fiction, poetry, essays, and graphic novels, some of which have been published by Dark Horse. Um, she, this is where we were kind of talking about our concerns. She's been hesitant to call her work feminist. Um, she, her first book was called The Edible Woman, and she said, I don't consider it feminism. I consider it social realism. Um, she has been criticized for comments she made during the start of the Me Too movement. Um, she has been accused by conservatives as being too liberal and liberals as being too conservative. Um, yes. In 2019, her book, The Testaments, was uh, it was a continuation of A Handmaid's Tale. Um, it won the Booker Prize. She partnered with Equality Now for the release of this book. Currently, she lives in Toronto. She is very old at this point. Um, we were already talking about don't don't dress up as a handmaid at your protests. There's a, don't don't use a, a hanger. That no. We know yeah. what it means, okay? Like, yeah, we get uh, it. We've lived on this planet. Um, she has mm -hmm. won a shit ton of awards that are, like, mm -hmm. there's just a massive list on Wikipedia if you're curious. Um, she recently, there was a copy of A Handmaid's Tale that was made so that it could not be burned. Yes. And so there is a picture of her online with a blowtorch, like, a, well, not... Yeah, it's a flame not thrower. really a blowtorch. It's flame a flamethrower. Yeah, I was like, wait a minute, what is that called? Um, just firing it at the book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, I also feel like things that miss the mark. Remember when there were those like sexy handmade costumes for Halloween? Oh my god. Halloween, you're walking around the uh in the yield the store sexy. going, What the fuck? Yeah, the yield <laughs> sexy right handmaids. Now. Yes. Their ceremonial sex thing, I assure you, is someone's kink. I assure you. It's called Eyes Wide Shut. Just go watch that movie if you're of age. If you're of age, go watch Eyes Wide Shut. Uh, I don't want to see Tom Cruise in anything. Okay, he's not the most problematic male out there. He's he's not that. He's just short. No, it's Scientologist. Scientologist. Okay, that there unfortunately there's still worse that he could be. The bar is so far on the ground that unfortunately there's still worse that he can be. Everyone seems to really like the new Top Gun movie. I don't know who that movie is for. I have no idea who that movie is for. I had a guy roommate who would dress up in that Top Gun outfit on Halloween to pick up chicks. And he did very well for himself. I think there was a different girl at our apartment every night for about three months. I can't say that I'm surprised, but that doesn't bring me any joy. I was really concerned because my bedroom was in the front and I was worried that one of these girls was going to throw a rock through my window. I was very relieved when he moved out. I would also be, you know, relieved for that. Uh, we have a bunch of resources, including a book that I want, which is White Tears, Brown Scars, How White Feminism Portrays Women of Color. 
Uh, we'll also list all of the great fascism uh, videos that I mentioned because I have been on a tear. Do not leave me alone on the internet. I end up watching very long videos about how the world is going to end. So there are uh, there are some adaptations of this book. Um, there's the Hulu show, which we've mentioned. Uh, it gives me worse religious flashbacks than Midnight Mass and not saying something. Um, it's a lot. I made it through one episode and then went, you know what? I don't have to do this to myself. I'm not doing this to myself. Yeah. Um, there, there's something to be said about that. Because I know I have... So I used to always watch V for Vendetta on Guy Fox Day because I'm an edgelord. Uh, and then I tried to watch it right after Trump was elected. And I couldn't get through it without shaking and crying. So there's something about trying to rewatch this now where things have somehow gotten worse than 2017. It's, the world's on fire. So there was also a 1990s version of this movie, which will hit a little bit different. Um, that was with Natasha Richardson and Robert Duvall. And interestingly enough, in 2013, there was a version of this that was turned into a ballet for the Royal Winnipeg uh, Ballet area. So, what's I'm really hard is that sure. I'm trying to envision this as a ballet, and I just keep having things intercut with like Black Swan, and I don't think that's what it's supposed to be like, but that's what I keep imagining it's like. Probably. Because I'm imagining like, really... Natalie Portman, Black oh, Swan. Yeah. yeah. Which for a while, they get for $5 on DVD at Target. Yeah, until people started realizing that it's like a secret feminist masterpiece. Oh, God, the part where she pulls off her toenails. So, what? Yeah, I mean, I just love that, like, that, like, two movies about obsessive artists came out, like, at the same time. And for a minute, the one about the dumb dumb white man was more popular and then everyone realized that the one about women was far more uh, progressive and important. What was the other one? Whiplash. I've never seen Whiplash. I didn't even know. I was like, wait, what? Do you want to watch J.K. Simmons berate Miles Teller for two and a half hours? No. Okay. I want to watch J.K. Simmons scream at people because that he needs pictures of Spider-Man. Okay, so if you don't want to see J.K. Simmons berate Miles Teller for two and a half hours, then there is nothing about Whiplash that does anything for you. But if okay. you want to watch J.K. Simmons berate Miles Teller for two and a half hours, I highly recommend Whiplash. <laughs> if that is your specific kink and you just want, like, not even playing a character, just J.K. Simmons berating people... And, like, just beating into one guy for, like, two and a half hours? You you will get your rocks off with that one. The hard thing right now is that I don't want to support J.K. Rowling. But I love, love, love seeing Jason Isaacs go back and forth as himself and Lucius Malfoy. Where he's, like really really awful to tom felton and then he's like are you okay do you need anything can i get you something are you all right did i hit you too hard yeah he did the one time 
Yeah, with the uh, cobra stick. Kane, there we go. So this is the really hard thing is, I don't know how to describe to people. I was valedictorian, okay? I graduated college in three years. I read academic books for fun. I'm not stupid, but I am really, really bad about words coming out of my mouth versus words I put on paper. No, I can be like that sometimes where it's like, I know I'm not dumb. Oh, I was doing, um, I was doing an interview with a company and they're like, oh, just a heads up. Uh, there's some math in this. It's like, what? It's like, and you can't do a calc, you can't use calculator. Like, what? I, I do not think I'm a dumb person. I would even argue to say I am more intelligent than most people. When he said, I need you to do like 350 times 19 without a calculator, I felt like a rock. It's like, I don't know how to do that, sir. Just like, I don't know what you want from me. Like, it reminded me of getting tested for uh, ADHD and spatial awareness things where it's like, can you take this cube and rotate it 123 degrees and then 180 degrees and just looking up at the tester being like, no. No, I cannot. <laughs> Please take this cube back. I don't know what you want from me. <laughs> where I have a hard time. So I was really, so I, I Okay. So some backstory here since we're basically at the end of the episode. I quit my job this week. Yay. Um, I start a new job on the 13th. And the what I was working on as far as, like, we had to take this insight test, right? And I did really well on the math because as a kid, having that scratch paper and doing it out by hand, that was, like, my jam, right? So I'm used to not using a calculator because I'm just like, I need to see it in front of me. But the part where I struggle is the um, explanations where they're like, such and such is bigger than this, which is bigger than this. Now, if it has to do with relationships, like people, so-and-so works for company A, company A does this, I'm great at those. But when it's talking about a business, whether one is bigger than the other, I want, my brain goes, well, what about their hiring capacity? What about their insurance claims? What about this? Like my brain will not latch on to the fact that we just need to solve this simple problem. It's the same thing as when I'm watching an action movie and a bunch of cars get destroyed. My brain automatically goes, oh shit, how many insurance claims are they gonna have to pay out? God, I feel bad for that person who has to be on the phone with them. Wow, what kind of documentation are they gonna request? That's So I have a problem because my brain doesn't wanna just stick to the task at hand. It goes, let's sync. 27 steps down the road oh i've forgotten the words for all of this yeah i remember taking the ap test when i was younger and uh you know the ap test you talk about like test fatigue and by the oh, point yeah. of this test i had already taken like i think two in that same day my brain was oozing out of my ears and i remember i had to describe bf skinner conditioning and a skinner box and I just drew a pigeon in a box. And I still passed. Like, I still got a three. But I was just like, I had all the information. I could verbally explain what a Skinner box was and what BF Skinner was trying to do and why he wanted pigeons to drop bombs. I could explain that. I could not at that point in my life write it down. So I drew a pigeon in a box and still got credit for it. Uh... So, did we have to read this in school? I absolutely did not. I, 
I wrote that I regret it. I don't regret it. It's just white women problems are so exhausting. So I read this book about 10 years ago, right before going on a date. I finished it in the car. And then my I met my date. It did not go well. It did not go that. well. Yeah. He was a very sweet guy. Very religious. Very religious. So my brain was like, I'm in danger. Um, and I don't need this. Ended up being real, real way. sweet. We were not going to work out in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. Regardless. So uh, wherever you are, I hope you're doing well. And yeah. <laughs> Fair. Um okay. Yeah. It's been a long one, guys. Uh you can find us all over social media. Tori, please tell the good people where they can find us. We are on Unfortunately Required Reading on Facebook, Unfortunately RR on Twitter, Unfortunately Required on Instagram, and unfortunatelyrequiredreading.com if you just want to go to one place. You mm -hmm. can also uh, reach out to us for suggestions for the podcast at unfortunatelyrequiredreading at gmail.com if you prefer to be an, um, you know, a writer, person, email. Yeah, if you prefer to communicate that way versus social media, understand. Mm -hmm. um, so we're moving into Pride Month. We are. Are we going with the book we were discussing? Yeah, we're going to go gay up ancient Greece. We're going to be reading the Iliad. Yes. Which is a yeah. prequel to the Odyssey? Yes, because it's about the Trojan War. Yeah, okay. We're both exhausted. Uh, so yeah, we're going to go gay up some Greek men. Which isn't hard for us to do. Um, yeah, guy, especially with... Yeah, I mean, the subject matter is already there. Guys, the world is truly on fire. Be kind to each other. But end that kindness. Take no shit. Vote. We must do better this time around. And if you see Ted Cruz on the streets, yell at him like a grackle. Also, ResistBot is an excellent tool if you have limited mental capacity right now because of just, you know, the world being on fire. Yeah. Um, right now they are doing a campaign where I think we're on like day 21 of reaching out to your senators about Roe v. Wade. I will tell you that I live in Texas, so I just get like these half-hearted messages from Ted Cruz and John Cornyn that are canned messages going, I believe in babies. And I go, sirs, sirs, the governor of the state just said it could have been worse. I was talking to Amber about this and it's like, I'm not one. I'm not the kind of witch that would ever wish like active harm on someone. But if someone could just like move Abbott's ramp, just like three feet in the other direction. I just want him like mildly inconvenienced. Like, I don't yeah. want harm to happen to him because then he'll become a martyr. And I don't want that. We don't have time for a fascist martyr. But just, like, can someone severely inconvenience him? I don't want anything bad to happen to Ted Cruz because, again, he'll become a martyr. But I do want a bunch of people standing in front of him screeching at him like a grackle. I would love that. More, more people should do that. Yeah, more people should just stand in front of him and screech at him like a grackle. I'd pay cash money for that. Um, be I kind to the rest of the kids. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. 
uh, be kind to each other. Go, 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 go read a nice book. You know what? Go find your comfort book. Go, go, go read a nice book. <sighs> See you guys in the next episode. Bye. Bye.